Hello, everyone. This is Andrew from Auto Off Topic. The coloring contest is back, and now it's been improved thanks to Frank Eck. The contest is simple. Complete one of the pages in any of three mediums. This includes electronic using any of the paint type programs, color pencil, marker, and or crayon, with one entry counted per medium per person. So each individual can have a total of three entries. There will also be two age groups, age 15 and below, and 16 on up. Links to the coloring book pages can be found on our Facebook page or the page for the coloring book contest. Facebook.com forward slash AOTP contest 2017. Electronic entries, including scanned entries, can be sent to us via email, autooftopic at gmail.com. Paper copies can be sent by snail mail to Auto Off Topic Podcast, P.O. Box 35, Georgetown, Mass. 01833. Note, all hard copies received will not be returned. Period. The contest runs through November 30th. The companies and owners groups donating prizes are Mitsubishi Motors North America, Adventure Driven Design, Force Performance, Palladian Trucks, Northeast Mitsubishi 4x4, Mitsubishi Montero Owners Group USA, Florida Mitsubishi 4x4, and Mitsu Nation. All right, on to the show. All right, I feel like we just did this. I feel like you just said that. Maybe. Maybe we did start recording and deleted it and started again. Sure. Welcome to episode 36 of What Off Topic. We're still counting, so we haven't been at too, too long yet. Why wouldn't we stop counting? I don't know. Some podcasts end up stop counting, but... I feel like I always want to know, because if we ever make it to a high number, I want to celebrate. Yeah. We'll do something for the 100th. Let's not plan too far ahead, though. I mean, we're at 36. Yeah. <laughs> so 100 is like, would be roughly two years. So I'm your co-host, Brad. Yes. And you are? I'm the other host, Andrew. Yeah. I think you did say that. I didn't. We went off. We went off. We figured by episode 36, everybody knows us by now, yeah. right? This is a bonus episode. It is a bonus An episode. Extra episode. Because episode 35 was recorded a day early, based on scheduling with our guest. So we decided to do our normal recording night for a bonus. And we hadn't done listener questions in a while, so we decided to ask you guys some questions. We'll get to those. Plus, we had a few things to chat about ourselves yep. that we've done and didn't get a chance to talk about with the guest yesterday. So That's right. So if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to part two of the Father's Day special, stop listening. Go back and listen to that. Yes. Which is the episode 35 with my father, which comes after Genius is Here, episode 34. Yes. Uh, with Andrew's father. That's right. Very good. You're good at counting. I'm very good at counting. <laughs> the, the problem arises when you ask me to add them together. Yeah. <laughs> so what did we do uh, this weekend, Andrew? We went up to Tim O'Neill to volunteer and help run the SEC rally sprint that was on Sunday. Yes. And uh, that was pretty cool because you'd never been to Team O'Neill, huh? I had not been to Team O'Neill, no. And I now, seeing the facility, I understand why the pricing structure is the way it is. Yes. Because that is not a cheap place to run. No. I've always been like, man, it's expensive for a driving school, but they have a huge facility with very well-maintained stuff and nice buildings and facilities, and it's it's pretty awesome. It's like It's like a gravel road, but it's like his own mixture of like surfaces s- surface like yeah. cement so it held it holds up better than like a traditional dirt road because they run lap after lap after exactly. lap on it. and they grade it too they have they tractors do. and stuff and they maintain yeah. it and and it's they, pretty amazing they used to run a lot of volkswagen golfs and audi quattros 
those kind of dwindled down because they couldn't get parts for him. Yeah. But <laughs> less of them existed. But now. it's he possibly thanks to them. <laughs> yeah, a few years ago he signed a deal with Ford Performance. So yeah, there's a big Ford Performance logo on the sign when you walk in, and uh, they have um, mostly Festivas, Fiestas. Fiestas. In fact, do you remember when that car launched in like twelve or thirteen? Mm-hmm. Maybe it was earlier than that. Whatever year it came they out. They did those pre... It was a special fiesta movement where they're giving people, like, social media people... Yeah, like social leases. media stars, free leases. Yep. So those cars were not U.S. legal. They were never... They, they were pre... They manufacturer plates? No. They somehow... They worked with the lease that they could lease them to these people, but they were before the actual it was U.S. Like cars... was extended test, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, the U.S. cars were released. A lot of them were green. Right. So they couldn't be resold to the public. So did you notice that they were all sitting on yeah, the property? Yeah, a bunch of them on the They property, became yeah. school cars. That's pretty cool. I did notice there were a couple of, like, body and whites there, too. Um, oh, they'll also build you an R2. Yeah, Fiesta, well, yeah. there was one. It was just a, a bare shell. I mean, it had doors and windows, um, but the radio support was cut out of it, and there was no well, motor or transmission, driveline, anything. Interesting, those, the front of those cars all unbolts. Yeah, okay, maybe not cut off, but yeah. taken off, I should yeah. say. A lot of economy cars are like that now. Yep. The front bumper is pretty much the radiator support in a lot of cars now. Yeah, so I guess they, they, they actually kind of like that for that, doing the rally car builds. Because when you go to swap an engine, it's just like, boop, it's just comes bolts. right out. Yeah. So it's like drift guys in there, does fastened bumper cars. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a really cool facility. And they'll do, um, I know recently, well, this isn't like an ad for them, but I know they there was probably some signs you saw them. They, they do uh, shooting schools, too. Yeah, they so, have a combination of, like, the evasive driving and shooting. Yeah. Like, for, bo- like bodyguard for, training yeah, or something? Yeah, bodyguard, FBI, police departments, yeah. whatever. Because there's actually a um, a range pretty much across the street, too. Yeah. That they partnership up with, I guess. I was talking to one of the locals who came out to watch the event. Yeah. And uh, actually, fun fact, they're one of the very few businesses in that town because it's kind of a small town that they're in as yeah. far as population goes. Um, and they do a lot of charity work. Yeah. And they do a lot of, like, donating like a three-day school to local charities, uh, and they auction them off for different charities. Yep. And I was talking to the guy, and he's like, yeah, I got to do the school. And I bought you know, a three-day school, whatever, and it was like 400 bucks. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I'm yeah. so jealous. Yeah. <laughs> but it's really cool. For anybody that doesn't know what the rally sprint is, it's kind of like a short-format stage rally. Yeah, so SCCA used to do them over 10 years ago. Yep. And they got out of it. But then about, I was actually looking, at, they've been doing them since 2015 now. Okay, so three, past two years. Yep. That makes sense. So they the only back, did one in so like 2015, I think, didn't they? That was the, yeah, that was the first one they'd done in like 10 or 15 years, and that was at the Tim O'Neill School. Um, but basically, the way their property is, is set up, he's got stage roads, we'll call them. They kind of wind and intersect each other, and yep. you can, by changing the junction points, you can change the course. Right. And it goes up and downhill. It's like a step in between rally cross um, and stage rally. Yeah. And it's easy because this is a private facility. You don't have to close roads. Yeah. You and you can, can do keep you the want, public out. Yeah. yeah. You can control. It's not like an actual stage rally where you have to notify the town, take all the, all the permits, close the roads down for a few hours. Some locals get upset over that, which is unfortunate. But at least with this, it's all private and you can keep people out they do have spectators though they do yeah. you can go spectate there are designated spectator areas Which actually that was my job was spectator marshal yes uh but jordan and i went up the course we did start 
I think we started four stages. So each each run, we they call it a stage. Just like a stage rally. Yeah. Because it's, it's a short format stage rally, exactly. essentially. It's all, yeah. It, based it's timing. for beginners. If you want to yeah. get your feet wet in stage rally and you've graduated from rally cross, it's kind of like a, this is maybe a stepping stone. It's very inexpensive. Can, can, comparatively, yeah. And there's no, the transit is literally from the north end of the course to the south end of the course on the road that's outside at right. 10 miles an hour. Which is a dirt path, pretty much. Yeah. Really so... It's not like an actual stage rally where you're transiting for miles. Hundreds of miles, yeah. And then running and then trying to get the car back if you broke it. Like, if it breaks, it breaks five minutes from the paddock area. You just, Correct. Somebody will just tow you somebody downhill. The truck there will just tow it back. Yep. Yeah. Which the attrition rate was pretty low, I think, this weekend, wasn't it? Yeah, most of the cars were, were pretty yeah, well together. finished, yeah. And even ones that didn't, even ones that broke pretty much mostly got put back together. And yeah, and they just again. kept running. Yeah. Yeah. They don't really want to keep you from running. They just... Yeah, exactly. Like, just it's, fix it's, it. It's more for seat time than anything else. Jump there's back no in parts. It. There's, no, there's no point series or anything. It's well, just, uh, I think they're doing a point series. They give out trophies, but yeah. The only way to to really lose at it is to put your car in the woods, which is it was just frowned upon anyway. Yeah, because it's you know more cleanup time. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, don't get hurt. Don't be stupid. So Jordan and I did. Uh, we started four stages, which I never actually worked start. That was kind of neat. So mm-hmm. Jordan counted down the cars and let him go. I took the card from the co-driver and wrote in the times that they needed to start oh that's kind of cool yeah and then we did we they flipped the direction and we became flying finish so we we sat there clicked the stopwatch and the, then went past well it's a little more than a stopwatch it's yeah, some it was, rally clock or something i'm, but, I'm simplifying the, the the scenario here yeah. a little bit so it's kind of neat you just basically click it as they go by and then call the, the time to the finish unfortunately so. i was a uh, spectator marshal which uh, isn't the worst thing in the world because it means that I get to spectate the whole event and just make sure that there's plenty of places to watch down there. Like it wasn't well as a spectator marshal, I had to go to one place and stay there. Oh, okay, that's just kind of how it worked, which isn't a big deal um, because somebody has to make sure that spectators who haven't been to rally events don't wonder know what they're doing and they don't get in the way and they don't watch from you know the outside of the turn or anywhere a car might lose control and hit them. So unfortunately, the spectator marshal is probably the least glamorous of all the work jobs. Um, but it's got to be done, and I certainly don't mind putting my time in once in a while. They didn't uh, need them because they were a little shorthanded. Uh, yeah, and there was... were a few spectators, and I did have to wrangle a few of them to yeah. they went off too far. It was the same day as Wicked Big Meat, which is a big Subaru meet. Yeah, it's so, a big Subaru draw. Yeah, so I think uh, some of the people probably went there, and also a lot of the cars that would normally run the rally sprint, some of them were still being prepped for climb to the clouds yeah because the proximity of the two events to each other both in time and space (laughs) so you ended up with a couple things there are teams that were ready and they're using this sprint to shake down for nefr yep doing the forest rally which is at the end of this month or second to last week of this month are we in no next month well oh sorry july we're still in june we're we're, you know (laughs) we're coming up on fourth of july weekend so uh nefr is july 21st 22nd and the Climb to the Clouds is 7th, July 7th, 8th, and 9th. And the other cool rally event coming up is actually at Team O'Neill again. They have, did you look at the Rally Fest at all? Oh, yeah. They did that uh, once last year. I didn't get to go, though. Yeah. It's uh, August 12th, cool. 12th, and 13th. It's only 20 bucks. Yeah. Um, and you get to go there, and they do ride-alongs in the rally cars, and um, they have a rally cross course set up that you can run your own car in. Um, uh, I think they do a thing with, uh, is it Sig Sawyer? Is that how you say it? Uh, six hour. Six hour. Um, they do have some demonstrations with six hour. I'm not sure if they have 
Um, they do actually. Yes, I just looked it up on the website. They are having um, some stuff with six-hour product demos. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they have a guided tour to the property. They do because they have off-road, not, not just rally courses. They have like four by four courses too. Uh, and part, any twenty bucks not only gets you a rally cro- rally car ride, but it also gets you um, a tour of the four by four facility in UTVs. Huh. So it's well worth the twenty bucks. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't know anybody that wants to learn how to drive a manual transmission car, they're offering with that twenty dollar package. They'll also teach you how to drive a manual transmission. Oh, car. okay, that's fun. So. It's 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 a I haven't personally been but it's I was talking to somebody who has been and they said it was an amazing time and 20 bucks is too cheap for it. So it, it's like 3 hours from Boston. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. well worth the yeah. drive. And especially he said that the rally car rides they got they were the there were school teachers well, not school teachers the teachers at that school. <laughs> rally school driving rally school teachers yeah driving, driving instructors. instructors. And they were driving pretty much at like 8 tenths. Yeah, like the cars got air, cool like sideways through the air. So they said it was totally worth it. So I mentioned uh, a lot of teams weren't there because climb of the clouds is next week, which is pretty cool because I have media credentials. So I will be at climb of the clouds uh, shooting uh, for who? For uh, us and right foot down. Excellent. I'll be doing a write up on right foot down for after the event. Good. Can't wait for that. And. Uh, Hopefully, I'm going to bring the recorder, and we know, like, uh, our guest Vinny is going to be there running. Our guest yep. Alex, Alex Grabau is going to be there running. So we have a few, ho- have a few other I know I know a bunch of other running. people, so hopefully I can bring the recorder and maybe get, like, you know, two or five minutes with yeah, someone. Short little stuff. interviews. Yeah, just around the paddock area. That'd be cool. Even team episode. members. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. We so that's what I'm trying to do. Recording on the way up and back, maybe, too, and have yep. some extra stuff. And yeah, so we'll even, see. Even talking to some spectators who are... Because a lot of rally spectators aren't just spectators. They're involved in exactly. the sport themselves. So they might, you know, have some insight to talk to, too. And might even be some names you recognize And if we get to do that, too. So so uh, that's coming up. Uh, and then just a little housekeeping, because we talked about the Misslewood Concours de Elegance on yes. the last episode. That is July 22nd and 23rd. So the actual show is the 23rd. 23rd and 22nd the tour. 22nd is the tour. Yeah. So you can look that up online. It's very easy to Google. And then, like we said, the New England Forest Rally is coming up the 21st and 22nd. And again, if you're interested in volunteering, I heard they are looking for more volunteers. They're in a deficit. Yes, they are in a deficit of volunteers this year. So we might have to, I might have to step it up this year, I think, and maybe volunteer again. Yeah, maybe at least one of the days. We'll yeah. See. Yeah, I think it's kind of a good way to split it up so you have one day to do your free time and mm-hmm. one day to at least, you know, help support the local rally scene. All right. So let's uh, do some project car updates. Sure. What do you got? I've got, uh, so the 99 Montero, I got it on the road. Yay. Inspected. Yep. I swapped the tires from the silver truck. The 89. Yep. To try it out. Excuse me. And we drove it 300-ish miles up to Team O'Neill. 300 round trip or 300 each way? 300 round trip. Okay. It's really not that far. No. It's, um... Yeah, three hours, two and a half hours or something. Yeah, but you climb, we go up through Franconia Notch. Just about nineteen hundred feet, so it's not like you know crazy like out west. Yeah, it's but, not Pikes Peak, but it's not sea level either. No, I mean from if you're out west, it'd be like driving from here to the top of Mount Washington, which is like six thousand feet. Right, but you know comparatively, you're comparatively, yeah. yeah. But I mean, we used to notice when you went with the eighty nine Montero that it would certainly affect the performance of the vehicle in a negative manner climbing through Franconia Notch. 
Yeah, it would just kind of you'd enter it like doing like sixty five, and then it would just kind of slow down a little bit. By the top of the hill, you're at like fifty. Yeah, I mean the speed limit through there was like forty five, so it wasn't too bad, but it it wouldn't. You know, it was a little wheezy. But other it other it wasn't fast. No. Um, but the newer truck, I mean, even with the noise, because you really can't, you can only hear it idle, really. Yeah, you don't hear it when the vehicle's moving either. I mean, no. it's, unless uh, the window's down and you're next to a wall, it's about the only time you're going to hear it. Yeah, and that's like, you know, pulling through like a uh, a drive-thru or something. But it uh, it seems to have plenty of power. It doesn't seem to bother it. So no, it ran beautiful. Yeah, it got decent gas mileage. It pulled nice. I drove it most of the way home, and it was a, uh, it was nice to drive. It needs an alignment. It needs an alignment. Yeah, there was some funkiness going on in the steering. But. Um, but yeah, everything's tight. But I think the steering wheel is just off. Yeah, it's just it needs to be centered. It needs to be reset. That's all. Uh, yeah. So some fiddly bits need to be sorted. So the tack isn't working. I noticed occasionally when it does come to life that the volt and the Oil pressure gauge are reading what they should be reading. So it's all tied into the tack? So it could be a ground in the dash There's somewhere? Some sort of ground that yeah. might be loose in the dash. I bet if we pull the cluster out and check behind the cluster, it's probably something simple. Well, I'm going to look at the wiring diagrams first and yeah. see where that stuff goes. Well, there's probably like there's, there's probably a ground because I know in the Sapporo, which is an earlier car, obviously, yeah. um, but the when the cluster was having fiddly issues... The clock in the center also was too, and there was a ground that was in between the two of them. So maybe it's the same kind oh, of Oh, it's probably a, yeah, there's probably a, what do I want to call it, a dashboard harness. Yep, I'm sure there is. And uh, yeah, it might have a bad ground or a dirty ground. We'll figure it out. No, it doesn't really worry me. It doesn't affect the truck. It's not like it's a, no. running the car up to red line and shifting it. It's No, it's because it's automatic. It, it is what it is, yeah. Uh, I got to fix the driver's door lock. That's broken from, I believe, the truck transporter broke that. Yeah, when he lost the key in it. Yeah. Lost key in it. Yeah. Also, the passenger side rear door doesn't open from the outside. Driver side rear. Driver side rear door doesn't open from the outside. Yeah, I knew about that. That that's a common thing, I guess. Yeah, I it opens on the inside, that. but not the outside. Yeah, the outside handle. Yeah, it's probably a plastic clip or something inside. It probably it broke. Yeah. The talons do that, do I know? Mm-hmm. So. So and then uh, the console shifter is worn out and loose, which and is a common old automatic malady. You got to kind of jiggle a little bit to get yeah, it Yeah, occasionally the truck won't start, so you jiggle the shifter and that yep. starts. Did you ever try putting it in neutral? We'll see I haven't done that yet. I keep yeah. forgetting. It probably is. It I know should work that way. The brown, my, my 80 Colt, the brown Colt, won't start in park. I have to put it in neutral for the same reason. Yeah. It has to be adjusted and moved around. So then... Uh, Actually, oh, it won't start at all now. That's on point. the positives, the AC is very cold and it, it works really well. Super comfortable. It was 9,000 degrees you know, a couple of times. Well, it's nice to just be on the highway and have the windows up. Yeah, it was nice. Oh, and I got that big sunroof to open up. And not forget to close. Yeah. Because it's not over your head. Yeah. So you just forget it's open. Yeah. As we we learned. It's a huge sunroof, too. Like, it's yes. like a, almost like if it was on a smaller car, it'd be like a full panoramic roof. Yeah. That's no, pretty cool. Um, what else was I going to say with that? Uh, it just, oh, I tried to go to some junkyards. Uh, the like real local junkyards didn't yep. have any Monteros. They had one sport because I was trying to see if I can find a floor shifter because mm-hmm. they're on eBay, but they're like 60 bucks on eBay. And I was like, well, if I can go to the junkyard and pull my own for 20 bucks, bucks yeah. yeah, I'll do that. And then also there's a couple like interior pieces that the are small just, trim you need. Yeah. Just stuff that got toasted by the sun in the desert that I'd like to replace. But yeah, I noticed every time I touched the 
handle on the passenger side, like this little button on it that covers a screw. Yeah. And like plastic came off in my hand every time I touched it when I was riding the car. Yeah. It was definitely uh, a little crispy. So just just stuff like that, but brakes seem fine, suspension seems fine. Uh I think uh shortly I'll be buying some new tires for it and I'll have it lined up. Buy them a little bit larger too, because the ones that are on it look a little undersized. Yeah, they're they are undersized. They're the they're the correct size for the first gen. But too small for they're the second They're too small gen. for the second gen. Which may help it. Actually, yes, they're definitely too small because it was reading like five mile an hour fast. Yep. Yeah, you're like I'm doing seventy five easy. I'm like, no, you're not. everybody's passing you. I think you doing seventy five. Went by one of those like <laughs> electronic your speed signs. That yeah, was like, it was off. Yeah, it was like speed limit forty five, and it said forty. I was like, okay, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, it happens. Uh, I don't have a lot of project car updates. Nope. Um, I am a bad car owner, um, and I bought the blue seventy eight Colt almost three years ago now. And it's constantly been in a state of fixing minor little things. Um, so every time I work on it, I'm doing something else. And I realized the other day that I have never actually changed the oil from when I got it. So mm. it's not that I've got a lot of miles. Wow. I mean, it's, it's probably done 3,000 miles total. You know, you know, there's a recorder, right? I do know that, yeah. But again, it's not like I drive the car every day and I've put thousands and thousands of miles on it. It's yeah. probably gone 2,500 to 3,000 miles since I've got it. Okay. And you, um, you just keep it topped off. Oh, I always check it. I mean, I don't run it low. I mean, it was and it was leaking pretty bad too. So it was kind of like a it's a constant oil change. Yeah, it was a constant oil change. It didn't matter. Um, so I finally it was like whoa. I realized it kind of because everything else was finally fixed and the car was running pretty good. I was like, oh, I should probably change the oil. So I changed the oil. Um, I'm going to do it again just because I don't know how long it went before and there's some sludgy grossness in the top of the the valve cover that I can see. So I'd like to you know maybe run some sea foam through it and. And change it again pretty shortly. Mm -hmm. Um, But the good news is changing the oil pretty much stopped the oil leak, Ah. which is the opposite of what normally happens. Yeah, usually you put fresh oil in there. It frees up some gunk. It's like clogging things, and you'll end up with seepage. So my assumption is either the oil filter or the drain plug must not have been tightened all the way before, and that's just why I was leaking oil um, because... It's not leaking at all, <laughs> so I'll take it. Yeah, seafoam seems to work. I mean, I threw yeah. a, I threw a can in the tank of the Montero, filled it up before we drove up there. So yeah, I've only seen positive things come from it. I've never, I haven't seen a negative thing yet. Maybe yeah. somebody can teach us other ways. I don't know how you can have a thing that you can put in fuel and oil, and it does all these things. I, it's, yeah, it's magic. But I mean, I've I've looked at the videos where people run it through their, you know, the intake of the car. Yeah. Um, and then they you know run a boroscope down and look at the carbon buildup, and it's less. So, I did. hey, if it's got no negative effects and it gives me any kind of peace of mind that I did something, I'll run it. Yeah. It's fine. So. I mean, the fuel system cleaner, I've run through things before, and I had a problem with that. So, But yeah, that's my only update is I changed the oil in the Blue Colt because I've just been driving things, uh, driving it. I haven't been doing much else as far as projects go. I'll have to get back out on that. All right, so let's do some listener questions. Absolutely. Would you like to start, sir? Sure. We can do the first one. Um, Jamie Beth Davis, how do I fix this stupid rust problem that I have spotted on my hood without a huge, costly production? Um, Jamie? Yeah. Please don't do anything. Yeah. It's not a problem. Just put some touch of paint on it. Worst case scenario. It's not going to get worse. It's the leading edge of the hood. Um, it looks like maybe the hood got put up at one point with the wipers flipped up, 
and they caught the edge of the paint. Oh, it's on that edge? So the, the back edge of the hood. Oh, I think yeah. it's the leading edge. Sorry, the, the, the leading edge of the back of the hood, the trailing edge oh. of the hood. Um, just put some touch-up paint on it. It's not going to get much worse. I thought those had, well, I guess only WRX has got aluminum hoods. Yeah, I don't think the Outback does. Yeah. But it, it, the color is not going to be perfect because the car is a three-stage pearl. So the only way to make it perfect is a costly production. So just put some touch-up paint on it. It'll hide it. It'll stop it from getting too bad. And, I mean, it's a daily driver. It's going to get little spots here and there all the time. It's not like... Hoods are also easily replaced. Uh, they are, but you're talking a three-stage pearl white paint. You'd have to blend the paint out into adjacent panels. Um, and, again, it's... one in the junkyard? Yeah. Wouldn't match? It wouldn't match. Um, especially with a, with a three-stage paint, a car that was painted, you know, two days apart might look different. Oh, it's, okay. uh, the paint fades differently. You would notice it. I mean, I would notice it being an auto appraiser. <laughs> Maybe somebody else wouldn't, but I would. Hmm. Um, but where it is, it's kind of on the very edge of the hood, a little bit on the bottom of the hood. Just put some touch of paint on it and call it a day. It's not going to get worse. The car will last longer than the, the hood will last longer than the rest of the car. Let's put it that way. All right. Uh, Steve Booten, what is your favorite color that is named after a racetrack? This is a good question. Mm-hmm. Uh, examples, Laguna Seca Blue, Lime Rock Green. Which I think are both BMW colors? I think so. Do you have any other? Well, I was actually going to go with, um, it's technically not a racetrack, but they did do a rally there. Uh, the Subaru, the San Remo Red, that metallic red. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, because they did do San, the San Remo Rally. So I, I like that one. Um I mean, I always liked, I mean, if you talk about fun color names, the, I mean, it's part, something you do on a racetrack. So Apex Silver. Oh, go to the Mitsubishi. Yeah. And the Tarmac Black was a cool name. Yeah. Um, I think. Blue Bayou. Yeah. Um, I kind of, I like like a simple paint jobs. Um, I like non-metallic paint jobs. Um, and the Suzuka Gray. Oh, that right. came on the Audis. Like the Audi TTRS came in Suzuka gray. It so was is that a Navarro gray or something. On, well, that was that was a different that was a different gray altogether. Oh, okay. But the Suzuka gray was almost it was so light that it was almost white. And it was only when you parked it next to a white car that you could see that it wasn't white. And it was just kind of a, a cool a cool color that I that you don't see very many of. I don't know the, what cars they put it on other than the TTRS. Mm. But I remember our friend had uh, the white, the uh, TTRS and Suzuka Gray. I feel like Sebring Silver was a color. I feel like it was too. Yeah. I think I'm it was a Chevy to, color. Yeah, I'm trying to think of. Yeah, like Corvette color. Different ones. Wasn't there another? What was the, what was Honda's white? Oh, championship white. Championship white. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't it. And what was the yellow one at the ITR? Was I can't remember, that. yeah. Yeah. I can't think of a lot of ones that are named after racetracks. Oh, Oh, uh, is the NSX, is that Amola red? Amola yellow. Amola yellow? Yep. I don't like that color, though. Okay. I don't like a yellow NSX. No? Just a, just a Integra? The, the Integra's fine. The NSX, I think, is too, um, it's too, like, exotic of a car to pull off a yellow. I think it looks cheap. Mm-hmm. It's not like a metallic or a pearl yellow. It's just, like, yellow. I don't know. Personal opinions. But, hey. You ask the questions. We give you our opinions, so that's it. <laughs> yeah, I like Suzuka Gray. If anyone can think of other... Yeah, I'd like to think yeah. of some more. I can't think of any off the top of my head other than 
than those particular colors. Um, Laguna Seca Blue is a really nice color, though. It is a really nice color, yeah. Isn't there Lime Rock Orange, too? Yeah. Yeah, it was a special edition. Yeah, well, with the green. Mm-hmm. All right, so Phil Hansford asks, he says, Hey, guys, this question is for either or both of you. After just completing... Either or both? So, okay, I get you. Yeah. yeah. After just completing a very tricky timing belt job on my uh, dual overhead cam Piero Evo, it got me wondering, what would you classify as your most difficult home mechanic wrenching job to date? Ooh, that's tricky. Cause most as, difficult or one that gave us the most problems? Yeah. I mean... Uh, I mean, as you found out from listening to the episode of my dad, like we don't shy away from a lot of things. Yeah, we do pretty much anything we have to do. Um, we don't rebuild transmissions. That's about it. Yeah, internal. Yeah. Swapping the transmission on the Montero was a bit of a job. Yep. On the 89. With the transfer case and everything involved. Yeah, because the thing's like four feet long. Yeah. <laughs> and a couple hundred pounds. Um, that was a bit tricky. I mean, you did a timing belt on the single cam montero v6 yeah that's easy that wasn't too the big three liters easy yeah that wasn't too big of a deal because it it's not an interference too so i, I don't know what it's a 3.5 in the pajero uh, piero evo i assume yeah it's the same motor as like a 3000 gt twin cam yeah all right so i haven't done one of those but you know during dealership time when i worked there they were hard i saw quite a few of them being done and i know that they were quite a process so yeah hats well on. they're even more process in a transverse no, they're, they're transverse in a 3000 GT. Yeah. Oh, oh as opposed to the the Pajero. Yeah, yeah. I get you. Yeah, so hats off to uh, to Phil for doing that job by yourself because that is a pretty big one. Um, I don't know. I think as far as work goes, everything is kind of lefty-loosey-righty-tighty, and it's all kind of the same. It's just some things are harder to reach. That's what makes the difference. I think there's not a lot of mental challenge as far as figuring things out i don't think yeah or maybe it's just because we've done so many things that we don't think about it that way i i like to say i don't have um mechanical fear of things yeah except for automatic transmissions <laughs> it's just not yeah it's not worth rebuilding them you yeah can just, exactly because you can just buy used ones so cheaply it's not even worth the effort yeah i, I would say probably the most difficult home repair thing we've i've ever done is and nothing beyond just a head gasket with timing issues i mean it's not that's but to most people, that's pretty daunting, I guess, doing yeah. a head gas because you pull the whole motor apart, except for the pistons and, you know. Joe's Forrester right? was pretty involved. That was pretty involved. It's I still not done. We're going to work on that. I wouldn't put soon. that up there only because neither you nor I did that, like, uh, like a lot on our own. That was a huge team effort. Yeah, but so. you can't do heads on a 2.5 Subaru motor in the car. No, you got to pull the motor out of yeah. there. So. But again, that isn't even difficult. It's just, it was time. Yeah, it's time and equipment. It'd be difficult for a, a average home mechanic to do. Yeah, I guess. Because they'd have to, you can do it with a car on the ground. Yeah, but again, that just goes to us just kind of, we've always just kind of delved into it. And, you know, we talked with your father about, you know, how Joey came over and they built a race car like it's not nothing is nothing is really off limits we'll do whatever it's just only yeah so timing belts and and head gaskets are probably as as involved as you can get as a home mechanic yep so that's that's what i would say uh part b of this question oh you know actually you know what we don't do uh like rebuilding a head like that has to go to a machine shop as far as the machine work the machine work yeah but that's just an equipment thing yeah yeah. 
but as far as rebuilding the head, I have no problem putting a head together. Right. Like swapping in sp- the springs and, on, and valves and everything. Well, yeah, you just have, you, they do the springs and valves at the machine shop. They usually do. I did, to... but I did that, remember the 16-valve Volkswagen? No. Well, barely, yeah. Yeah, the, the red 87, the, mic- the Micah Red Metallic 87 that yeah. I had, I put that head together. Oh. So I did that all on a bench. Oh, okay. Actually, when I worked at Mitsubishi, I had the tool cart, <laughs> oh. and I did it in between customers. I put that head together. Oh. Yeah. But anyway, uh, part B of this question, if it weren't for the availability of online help via the internets, I like that joke is pretty much global now, mm-hmm. via the internets and factory service manuals, big shout out to Mitsubishi Links, uh, which if you don't know what that is and you have Mitsubishi, look up, just Google Mitsubishi Links, and they have all of the factory service manuals online, a lot of them. Most of them. Um, would you have even attempted it in the first place? Uh, yes. That's simple answer. Yeah. I mean, we've been doing this since before the internet was it was around, but it wasn't prevalent. I mean, I mostly, I'll look on eBay for factory stuff, factory service manuals, and I'll yeah. buy it. Like the actual books, just because that's... But I mean, think about your That's town. how I roll. Yeah. You, built, you built your town motor in what, 2001, two? Yeah. And the internet was there. But it wasn't like the tr- the trove of information that it is now. Yeah. Well, for the most part, the mechanics of putting an engine together aren't different from car to car. Yeah. The, the only thing that's different the is these torque specs. But right. The Tor- general idea is all the same. So yes, short answer is yes. All right. Uh, Gillette Jake asks, "Guilty pleasure cars." I think we've answered this before. Yeah. Um, and my simple answer is all of them. All of them. I mean, I, I can I can find good in every car. My definite one is the third gen Eclipse uh, V6 manual. V6 manual, the last one they made with the six speed and the Myvec engine, because they're absolute rocket ships. Yeah, they are. They don't handle in a, wonderfully. In a toilet chassis. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I would say that you know I drive old Colts already. Yeah. Like my brown Colt is not really an enthusiast car by any means, but I enjoy it. But if I were to seek out a car that I know I would get crap for, um, and this is the same answer I gave last time, I think it's the, like a, a two, two front wheel drive, um, turbo Dodge, whether it be an Omni GLH okay. or a Shelby charger or I, 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 especially the Shelby chargers. I mean, they're terrible cars. I just like the way they look and right. they can be made pretty quick. So it's guilty pleasure. Yep. Uh, here's another second question, uh, to which he posted a picture of a pretty sweet period, correct, um, well, it's like an in-period picture, it looks like, uh, first-gen Colt drag car. Uh, thoughts on V8-swapped imports? For or against? Uh, no, I'm, I'm fine with it. I don't care. There's a difference. The picture he showed shows a drag car. Yeah. I'm against taking a vintage import car that has lasted this long, cutting the chassis out of it, and turning it into a drag car. No, you want to... If it was done in I'm, period... I'm okay with a car that was done in period. On the flip side, if somebody has a vintage import car now and they want to put a V8 in it, but still make it a handling-style car, like, say, like you know, there's a lot of cars that get LS-swapped nowadays. If somebody was like, hey, here's a free LS motor, only thing is you have to put it in one of your Colts... I wouldn't be against that as long as I could make the car still a fun driving car, yep. not just a one-trick pony drag car. So if I found this particular Colt that he posted in the picture, 
I would buy it in a heartbeat. I would restore that and own that forever because it's part of Colts history and it's amazing. And in fact, the drag racing history of Colts is a little um, interesting because it's because of the Dodge Colt drag cars that there is a minimum wheelbase rule in the NHRA for door slammers because they were too dangerous. Well, wasn't the idea that you could swap in, it had to be from the vehicle manufacturer with the same powertrain? Uh, nope, because they ran like Cutlass Sierras all through the 80s, oh, okay. which were front-wheel drive V6s, and they were all rear-drive tube chassis V8s. And drag racing it was a wheelbase thing. It was the, oh. the Colts were such short wheelbases that they were just insanely dangerous when they put, you know, Keith Black Hemis in the front of them. No. Well, I thought they just, I thought the rules, they had to put a Chrysler engine into a Chrysler quote, quote. Well, that might be a rule too, but that's not, that, that wasn't changed from the and, Colt. And it was days. like, hey, that makes sense. Let's take the smallest car that they offer and we'll put the biggest engine in that they offer. Right. right. But they're like, the wheelbase is like. That's a common formula. 93 inches. Yeah. So it was a little sketchy. I'll let you ask another question because it's from somebody you know very well. All right. So my dad asks, uh, what are your favorite parts of a car to work on? He says, i.e. engine, electrical, brakes, suspension, bodywork. I like brakes and suspension because if you're, like, modifying them afterwards, you can actually feel the difference yep, it's, pretty quickly. It's, it's, very, it's the quickest way to make a difference. Yes. Uh, I would say the same thing because it's the quickest way to complete a project. Yeah. Like, it's like building an engine is cool, but it takes a long time. You know, swapping in a set of coils and, or springs is... You Quick and satisfying. Yeah, you do it on a Saturday. Coilovers, yeah. Uh, you know, lifting Jordan's truck, we did that on a Saturday. That was fun. So Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. Joe Osborne. He asks, World Rally Blue or Obsidian Black Pearl? I'm going to let you feel this one because I'm not as into the Subarus as you are. Is Obsidian Black Pearl what color your STI was? It is, and or it was, and that was the color I would pick. Because, so in 05, it was Obsidian Black Pearl. Okay. And then the Steve Wooten actually answered this. He said Java Black Pearl. That was the year before. It's a different color black. Okay, because yours had like a little bit of a gold flake it in it. It like gold and blue flake in it. As opposed to the earlier one that had a it red. It looked like obsidian volcanic glass. The other one had like a red flake in it. Right? Yeah, the Java like Black that, Pearl. Yeah. yeah. Um, I liked your car a lot. Uh, I will also pick the obsidian black pearl. Simply because there's so many blue. There's so many blue WRXs. Yeah. And I don't dislike them. And when the car first came out in this country, if I were to buy one, Pretty car blue. I would have bought a World Rally blue car. Um, but the STI looked really Again, good. Again, but that San Remo red that was offered like for a couple of years. Yeah, it was nice. real pretty too. But I still would have bought the World Rally blue. Um, but the obsidian black with the gold factory wheels that your car had. Plus, I had the black Evo, so it was kind of yeah. like a I think it was a tarmac black Evo. So it was kind of uh, on the same. Mine came with silver wheels, and then I put you swapped them. I swapped them for gold yeah. ones, but I, I'm not even sure how that worked. Like how they came, if they were option that way, or if they just, just random end of the production line slapped on yeah. whatever was next. Because the gold of the BBS wheels was not the same gold as the Brembo calipers. They were different. No, it was definitely a different gold, which actually looked better than yeah. matching them. Yeah. Dan uh, Downey uh, asks, "Is the Unimog an acceptable daily?" Speaking of Ed's, obviously. Yeah. So there's a uh, gentleman who volunteers at a lot of the rally sprints who drives the Unimog. You've probably seen us post pictures of it. Actually, I posted a picture of it to the last Instagram weekend. last weekend. Yep. Um, I think he dailies it a lot. 
Actually. He probably does. It's funny because we had this discussion on the way home. Yeah. We're like, where does he live and how long does it take him to get there? Because I, I think they top out at like 55. Yeah, they can't be that fast. Yeah. But, I mean, the blue Colt doesn't go much faster than 55, 60 either. So, I mean, I feel his pain. Yeah. But I'm also getting like you know, 35 like a, to 40 miles a gallon when I do it. Not, you have a you know, 16 speed. Yeah. Split, gear, s- split ratio gearbox. Yeah, whatever it is. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's a split ratio. Air brakes. Split ratio gearbox. Diesel. That thing is big, though. It's and very it's big. it's got that box on the back that I think he says is EMP-proof. Yes. Yeah. Um, he's an interesting character. I'm not going to say much more than that. Um, he's a Unimog guy. He's so. a Unimog guy. He's a ham radio Unimog guy. He's an interesting guy. Uh, not a bad guy. If just you, an interesting guy. If you go to Climb of the Clouds, you'll, meet you'll see the vehicle. Yeah. You won't be able to miss it. It's got his name on the side of it anyway, on top yeah. of it. It says Ed yeah. Sanders right on the yeah. side of it, so... So. But yeah, is it acceptable daily? It's absolutely an acceptable daily. If you can do it. Yeah. Why not? I would do it. It's, it's a Unimog. I mean, it's basically a military vehicle. It's, yeah. I mean, it's not, it is a military vehicle. It is. I, I'm a huge fan. All right, want to do the next one? All right. Stunt Nuts 4130. What do you guys know about the Copart.com salvage vehicle auction site? I recently opened a basic account out of curiosity, and I saw a VW Alltrack in Massachusetts. I immediately thought... Perfect donor for an all-wheel drive swap for my car. I ended up not bidding out of fear of the unknown. Some auctions are brokers only, and others are not. What constitutes that? Any personal experiences on bidding on anything ever? Thanks. Uh, I've never personally bid on anything there, um, but I'm pretty sure that every car in Massachusetts is a um, brokers only or dealer's license only purchase from Copart. Um, I know that if the car has a salvage title and it's less than 10 years old, the rules for putting that car back on the road in Massachusetts are very strict. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I, I will have to do a little more research before I answer this question 100%. Um, I don't know. I, I think that you need to have a broker to buy a car from Copart in Massachusetts. If you're buying it for parts, it's one thing. If you're buying it to put back together and put on the road, in order to get the salvage title lifted, it has to be inspected by the state police. And you have to have receipts for all of the parts that you bought on the car that match receipts from an estimate that was written by the insurance company or whatever originally that caused the salvage title. Mm. So it becomes kind of a nightmare. Um, and they won't let you drive it until they've inspected it. And if they fail on inspection, you have to bring it away and fix it and bring it back again. So a lot of people don't realize that, and they go to fix these salvage cars and then they drive them to the inspection station and they get a ticket or they trailer it there and it fails and they got to trailer back and trailer back and trailer back. So mm-hmm. sometimes in the state of Massachusetts, it's not worth getting a salvage title cleared mm-hmm. up. But I, I don't know about the broker only. I'm pretty sure in Massachusetts, it's a dealer only thing. I could be wrong, but um, I'm, I, I don't know for a fact. I just, it was funny because I just happened to be looking at it the other day because I was I was trying to find some salvage yards around here. Right. And that popped up in Google. Well, I know I have my old motorcycle came from Copart, mm-hmm. my Honda CBR 600 FRI, um, and it had to be bought by the dealership because uh, the guy who I bought it from worked at a dealership, and he had to purchase it through the dealership's dealer license. Mm-hmm. So I, that's just what I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, DFW Cam. IF. Cam F. Oh, okay. I apologize. 
Uh, no, it's DFW Cam. And then the question oh, oh, is oh. if. <laughs> oh, that was your copy paste. <laughs> My copy paste pushed them together. DFW Cam, I'm assuming is a Cam who lives in Dallas. Or, oh, yeah. or Fort Dallas, Worth. Fort Worth Cam. Yeah. Okay. Um, if you could do any Mitsubishi motor swap into a Montero, what would you do? Money is no object. What would you do? Well, I said in the two the short wheelbase two two door four G six three turbo because it'd be fun. Yep. Um, in my long wheelbase, I guess a uh, it'd be pretty crazy the twin turbo three thousand GT. That'd be pretty cool. Um, I would run an eight eight eight. Okay. Which is the Mitsubishi V8. All right. Um, they made them from 99 to 08. They came in Debonairs, which is the large, um, like, top-of-the-line, um, excuse me, the Dignity, actually, is a replacement for that car. It's like the top-of-the-line. The dignity. Yeah. <laughs> the Dignity. Oh, that's a... Real on the nose. Yeah, I think there was another one too. Like it was called like the proud or the dignity and the proud were the two. Oh, the proud, 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 yeah, proud, yeah. Anyway, we never got the motor in the United States in a Mitsubishi, but um, the Hyundai Equus, the V8 and the Hyundai Equus is the Mitsubishi 888. Oh, so. We did get them in a Hyundai, so parts are available, and I'm sure it's a Mitsubishi, so I'm sure the bolt pattern is the same for the bell housing as something else, so I'm sure we can make it work. Sure. But if it's money is no object, I'm putting a V8 in a Gen 2 short wheelbase. Okay. That's my crazy in the back of my head. I'll never build it, but that's what I'd want to do. I've seen Ellis swapped... Long wheelbase ones from Australia. I have mine. seen that. And actually, one of the guys on Mitsubishi Montero's USA, the Facebook group, yeah. is building a first-gen LS swap short wheelbase. So, okay. A madman. Yes. He's building that for quite a few years. Yeah. I think it's uh, he's like me with his projects. They just keep going and going and going. All right. So Riley Sideways uh, says, what's your method for finding parts who are not mainstream project cars? Is there a group or store that sells vintage Mitsubishi, vintage Mitsubishi parts? So, when I worked at the dealer, there was uh, there was a vintage Mitsubishi uh, site that you could call or search. Yeah, it was for, a company that bought old like warehouses of Mitsubishi parts. Yeah, new old stock stuff. Um, so you could get it, they wouldn't reproduce stuff; they just buy out. Yeah, it was like an obsolete warehouse. Obsolete warehouse. That's right. So occasionally you could find stuff there. You could also search, uh, they had a way to search other dealers inventory. You could buy obsolete parts that way, dealer to dealer. Um, but mostly I use eBay and owners groups. Yeah. Especially with the advent of Facebook marketplace. It's a lot easier now to find some things sometimes Yeah, because if somebody puts something in, say, we're talking about Mitsubishi Montero's USA Facebook a few times tonight. If somebody in that group puts something up, it, well, it was a garage sale page. Yeah, exactly. The garage sale page. It gets shared pretty quickly, and, and you find it. Uh, as far as, like, with my old Colts, um, there's a lot of parts in the Philippines because Mitsubishis were hugely popular throughout the 70s and 80s in the Philippines uh, and Manila. Um, in fact, if you go on Facebook, there's a few groups dedicated to those 
particular things. Uh, and there's one gentleman who I've dealt with that's called Scap Trading, S-K-A-P. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he has, like, the coolest collection of new old stock 70s and 80s Mitsubishi parts. So there was a guy, there was a guy on, or he's still on there, GalantVR4.org, that was parting out a couple Galants. Yep. And I bought a bunch of parts to put my back together. So Was well, that performance part out guy? Nope. No. So he's got guy. a bunch of stuff, too, and... There's just a lot of a lot of places have a lot of stuff. Oh, there's Miller uh, Miller Import Parts. That's on Facebook. They buy specifically DSMs and like Evos now mm-hmm. to part them out, and they'll post put a post like, "Hey, you just got this blah 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 ninety eight Eclipse TSX in." Has good like, this. Yeah, and they're like, "Just bought this O three Evo, hit the nose." Like everything else is good. No. Yeah. So there are people dedicated to salvaging these cars and yeah mitsu's mitsu seem to have enough of a cult following that it, it's there's enough people out there it's not like you know buying parts for my nsu where yeah. i have to go to germany like there's enough people here in the yeah. country that are into they're it. easier and they're also easier to find in junkyards out west yep because they, yep. they lasted also longer. i have a, a slight hoarding problem with car parts so you know if you need something for a cult just give me a call yeah. i probably have one somewhere and the um <laughs> thing too i think Cash for Clunkers really wiped out a it lot wiped of the, a lot of the Monteros. Yeah. Especially. Yeah, it did. So, it, you know, around here, it's hard to find them. Yeah, ones that didn't get rotted away, got traded in for new focuses. Yeah, exactly. Uh, last question of the day from Moving Freight. Will Frank Eck be eligible for early release from Facebook jail before Independence Day, bro? No, I heard no. it's the 7th. 7th, yeah. Unfortunately, the 7th. We, we we gave our tribute to Frank Eck last episode. Um, it's been a lot of fun on the forums or on the on the Facebook groups, poking a little bit of fun here and there. But we do we do legitimately feel bad, and you know, sorry <laughs> sorry Frank, it's not you know, it's not cool. It's not cool at all. All right, but thank you for your questions. Yes, we again, appreciate that. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your questions. As always, you can follow us on Facebook, Auto Off Topic Podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Auto Off Topic. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, Raced in Anger. Uh, I was like very close to a thousand followers. I like to brag about Uh-oh. this. Uh oh. I was like nine, nine, six or something. So. Are you starting your senior year of high school next week? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Going big time. Uh, how about you? Uh, my personal Instagram, TSISS350. Um, my business, which is the. Sponsor of Auto Off Topic, Vintage Imports of New England, vintageimportsne.com, Vintage Imports New England on Facebook and on Instagram. Um, my wonderful wife's book, Yankee the Fish, now available in paperback. Actually, one of our listeners sent me a picture of his son reading it, so thank you very much for that. Um, she appreciates that as well. Um, her page, her her book is Yankee the Fish. Her author's name, her, her name is D. A. Flanagan, and there is a page for that book on Facebook as well. All right, cool. Keep your cars analog. <laughs>